So as James said, my name is Nicole. Um, I've been coming here to Trinity since 2007-ish, um, more regularly since 2011, um, and Almost exactly two years ago, I was standing in this exact same spot. Um, you'd think I know better by now than to go out with coffee with, for coffee with James, because this is somehow how I end up standing up here. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, here I am. Um, so two years ago, I kind of had a moment of vulnerability where I was standing up here and basically told you wh- who I was um, and kind of how I came to be the person I am today. Um, today is a little bit of a continuation of that. So as I was saying, um, <laughs> just before I begin, I want to you all to take a minute. And if you have a piece of paper, great. If you don't, that's fine. I just want to give you maybe a minute, minute and a half, and start writing a to-do list. These are all the things that you have flitting around in your brain that you have to do today, tomorrow, the rest of the week, anything. I just want you to start thinking about those things. Maybe. (laughs) Don't give things away, John. All right, so before anybody starts like really getting anxious about that to-do list, I'll stop you. And I'm sure that list could go on and on and on. So I, I also want you to kind of pay attention to what's on that list, because we'll come back to that later. And, you know, this list, I'm sure some of you, some of the things came easy right off the top of your head, right? Because these are things that you have floating around in your brain almost every day right, at different times of the day. Sometimes the most inconvenient times, like when you're laying awake, staring at your ceiling, when you're trying to go to sleep, and it's 3 a.m. And these lists are what keep you up at night. For me, it's the shower. Before I go to work, I'm thinking about all the things that I have to do, and as soon as I get to work, I open up my planner and write those things down. And some of them are like actual work-related tasks. Some of them, not so much. They're just things I have to do in order to be who I am. And then keeping that list in mind, I also want you to think about something else. When someone asks, how are you? Or how's it going today? What do you say? I'm fine. Oh, it's all good. I'm okay. Everything's just peachy, right? But given that to-do list and all the tasks on it and the seemingly never-ending pages and pages of stuff we have to do, are we actually okay? Are we actually good? Are we actually fine? Does fine... Also, another question, does fine count as an emotion? I don't really know. Does it actually reflect our reality? Are those responses accurate? And now I want you to think of, when was the last time you answered that question honestly? Right? 
When was the last time you said, you know what? I'm not good. Everything is falling apart. You know what? I am not good because I have all of these things to do and no time to do them in. When was the last time you said, you know what? I'm just tired. Instead, it's, oh, I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Right? And what gets in the way of actually saying, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I have way too much to do? I think the most common response, and I know that I'm guilty of this, is that we genuinely don't want to burden somebody else. Right? Sometimes it seems like they're only really asking because it's a social convention. Sometimes they are really asking, but we don't want to tell them anyways. Right? Is all I hear is that we don't want to burden somebody else. But what makes us think and what makes us believe that sharing our honest feelings, no matter what they are, is a burden? Right? We genuinely want to hear how other people are doing. And we genuinely want to help if we can in any sort of way if they give us an honest response. But what gets in the way of us giving another person that same courtesy? I have a theory. I have lots of theories. If you want to know some of them, we'll chat. Um, But my theory is that because sometimes, especially as Christians, our emphasis is usually on everybody else. Right? We always hear in Sunday school, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And generally, when we say that, we assume that we are self-centered beings that need to love everybody else all the time. Right? So because we're so busy pouring our energy into everybody else all the time and wanting to find out how they are and what we can do for them, we do not take time to, to, for ourselves, and we do not take time to, you know, share our own feelings because that's just selfish and self-centered. So then that to-do list comes back. Because we want to care for everybody else, and the focus is always on other people, we will do whatever we can to try and rearrange that to-do list so that we can give that other person the help that we think they seem to need. And we try and figure it out in our super busy schedule so that we can help them. And then, on that to-do list, I want to know, I want you to kind of look at it or think back on it, where are you on that to-do list? Because I can almost guarantee, for most of you, you are right at the bottom. Because, again, anything else would be selfish. The other thing, too, is what happens to our to-do list when we are constantly caring about and pouring into other people? It keeps getting longer and longer and longer. But we stay at the bottom, right? So there is no possible way, I'm sure if I had given you more time to think about your to-do list, there is no possible way that you ever get to the bottom of it because something else always comes up. If you're a student, there are new assignments every week or every term. If you're a parent, there are always things to do, right? 
If you're at work, there are always new projects going on, right? The, 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 the list just keeps growing. And yes, as we check things off, more things start to be added. But our place on that list stays at the bottom. So you might be like, well, what's wrong with this? Shouldn't we always be selfless? Shouldn't we always be caring about each other people? About other people? Isn't that just nice? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Sure. Absolutely. Caring about other people is essential. But always being selfless and never thinking of yourself can kind of leave open the possibility of things like compassion fatigue and burnout. So being a social work student and being a social worker, those are two things that I hear about a lot, especially in school. If you're in another helping profession, you've probably heard those terms before. Maybe you've just heard them about somewhere, but you might not know what, these, what they actually are. So I went on psychology today because, hey, I know what they are, but can I actually give you a definition? No. But here's what it is. So compassion fatigue is what psychology today describes as bodily symptoms of empathy. So it can commonly develop in those in the helping professions. It's also known as secondary trauma symptoms um, because you're listening to people's trauma stories and you internalize them. So the symptoms for compassion fatigue are both psychological and physical. The fancy term for that is psychosomatic symptoms, but that's another discussion. <laughs> um, so some of the psychological symptoms include dissociation, so kind of removing yourself from situations, anger, anxiety, sleep disturbances, and a feeling of powerlessness. The physical symptoms can include nausea, headaches, dizziness, and even fainting. And if they are not attended to, compassion fatigue can lead to a much serious thing called burnout. Okay? Burnout is a, chronic, a state of chronic stress leaving, leading to symptoms in three major areas. So the first are physical and emotional exhaustion. This can include chronic fatigue, insomnia, forgetfulness, impaired concentration, increased illness, a loss of appetite, anxiety, depression, and anger. It can also lead to cynicism and detachment. <coughs> Excuse me. So it can lead to a loss of enjoyment, pessimism, isolation, and complete detachment. It can also lead to feelings of ineffectiveness or a feeling of a lack of accomplishment. It can lead to apathy and hopelessness, increased irritability, a lack of productivity, and poor performance. Any of those ringing a bell? I don't need to know, but just think about some of those things in tandem with that to-do list. The way I like to think about compassion fatigue and burnout is like driving a car. Sure, you start it with a full tank of gas, right? But as you care for other people and pour into your energy into other people, you are slowly using up that gas in the tank. Now, some of you might have these fancy cars that like to talk to you. 
I have one of them that like dings when you know the the gas is getting low or it has a little fancy flashing light so you know you have to fill up soon when that light goes on that's compassion fatigue it's saying you've done too much for other people and your car kind of gets a little bit less effective like it it starts you know maybe making funny noises things like that if you ignore that light and your car completely runs out of gas you might be stranded somewhere because it doesn't have any fuel left to go on that's burnout so obviously with all these symptoms and not so nice things compassion fatigue and burnout are a problem but sometimes even if we're experiencing some of these symptoms that i just listed off still when people ask how are you it's still i'm fine i'm good how are you right we're so reluctant to actually admit that there are things that are not right in our world i know i am for sure right but knowing knowing that we're not alone in this because hey life is rough for everybody even knowing that we still don't want to talk about it sometimes we can't talk about it with each other people sometimes we don't even want to talk about it with ourselves i have another theory that why that is to me it's because that admitting that we're tired and exhausted burned out and nowhere near finishing our to-do list means admitting that we aren't perfect means admitting that we don't have our crap together right and that maybe seems so simple it's like well of course nicole nobody's perfect nobody always has their stuff together but it's a little bit more complicated than that because when i pull at that not perfect feeling sometimes everything just falls apart right if i'm not perfect at this then i'm not perfect at that and when i'm not perfect i'm not good at anything is often kind of where my thoughts go and when i'm not good at anything that's when this thing called shame starts to creep in so the last time i was up here i talked a lot about shame and its influence in my life and perfectionism and its influence in my life I also talked about this woman named Brené Brown. She has two TED Talks I think currently. One is called The Power of Vulnerability and the other is called Listening to Shame. She also has a few books out. One is called The Gifts of Imperfection and another one is called Daring Greatly. So in her TED Talk about shame, which is my favorite, she outlines the difference between guilt and shame. Because sometimes the two often get intertwined and interchange the terms become interchangeable but they're not guilt is something that we need guilt is something that lets us know that i have done a bad thing right those of you that are parents will often you know recognize the symptoms of guilt in your child and know to ask what did you do this time right but that's just it guilt says i've done something bad shame comes along and it's i am bad shame comes along and tells us that we are not worth anything 
shame comes along and says, you are not good enough. You might try and do this, 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 and this, but you are not and will not be good enough. And if it, we can kind of quiet that, that piece down about you're not good enough, then it comes out with, who do you think you are? So when we admit that we're tired and exhausted and that unfinished to-do list comes back in our heads, that to-do list all of a sudden becomes a measuring stick of what we think we're worth. Right? The closer we get to finishing it, the less shame we feel or the less shame we hear. Because, hey, I got all of this stuff done. Guess what? Maybe I am just good enough or I'm good enough today. Right? It makes us feel good to accomplish things. And it keeps that shame back. And maybe sometimes it's just enough to hold it back and keep shame from completely taking over. But in order to finish that to-do list, there's a personal cost. And that personal cost comes back to that compassion fatigue and burnout, right? Caring for people and finishing those things on the to-do list costs us energy and time and sometimes we don't think about it, but it does, right? So the more we pour out of that personal cost and the more that we pour out into other people and the more that we get done on that to-do list, compassion, fatigue, and burnout might start creeping in and shame starts getting a little bit louder. But instead of you know quieting down and listening to that and saying, okay, maybe I need to take some time for myself, we just push harder, right? That's when we start doing more for other people. That's when we start, you know, adding the to-do list and taking projects on that, you know, we never had any interest in whatsoever, right? But we're trying to quiet it down because the more we have on our plate, the more we can check off and the quieter shame seems. So soon, I'm okay, I'm fine, how are you? Things are great. And that seeming appearance of having it all together That just is a mask that we wear, right? Those are the faces that we show to the public, so random people on the street. That's the face that we show to our coworkers. That's the face that we show to our family, our friends, our church family, maybe even our spouses and kids, right? Everyone is happy. There is nothing wrong in the world. It's great. But on the inside we're cranky, we're exhausted, and overall, we're just done because we have nothing left in the tank to give to anything and we're just going through the motions. So what does this have to do with our relationship with God? So in relation to that to-do list, sometimes some of those things can be church-associated. You know, sometimes the things that I learned in Sunday school come creeping back up on that to-do list. Sometimes it's what we feel like a good Christian looks like or does. 
Sometimes it's even what we view God's expectations are for us. Not saying that they're theologically correct or whatever. It's just what we feel we need to do or what we feel God expects of us. Sometimes it's what, the, what we feel the Bible says about behavior. And I will tell you, it is absolutely divided by gender. With women, it might be, I need to be a perfect mom to my kids. I need to stay at home and take care of them. Or, you know, I need to do this, 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 and this to make sure that they're all looked after and my husband is happy. Things like that. For men, I need to be the breadwinner of the family. I need to be the spiritual leader of the household. I cannot show emotions. We all have different to-do lists, and sometimes it is based on our gender. And then that to-do list becomes our identity, especially the things that we've left unchecked, right? And sometimes it's easy, especially growing up in the church, we, we hear all the time, well, human beings are sinners. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Sure. We all do things wrong. But then what happens is we internalize that. That becomes part of our identity. Soon, shame takes over and doesn't let us forget it. That I'm a sinner mentality also starts to equate itself with, well, you'll never be good enough because you're a sinner. You will never be good enough. Who do you think you are? So then again, we start overcompensating for things, right? You know, the more we do things, the more we think we can distract other people from even noticing that we're falling apart there, right? Or that our good doesn't quite seem to ring true or that our smile doesn't reach our eyes. And not only do we think that we can keep other people from noticing that we're falling apart on the inside, Sometimes we think that we can keep God from noticing that we're falling apart. And that to-do list, all of a sudden, isn't just our to-do list. God knows about it, too. Right? And just like that to-do list has become our measuring stick of our self-worth, it's like God has that same to-do list, and he uses it as a cosmic scorecard. It's like he's also keeping track of what we do, and what, most importantly, what we don't do. We kind, of, we kind of hope that he ignores it. Like, well, maybe if I do this, 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 and this, I might be good enough. I might be worth, you know, saving. I might be worth getting into heaven one day. But we're just hoping that, like, okay, I have this to-do list in my head, but God doesn't know about it. It's fine. I'm good. Everything is good. So if you think about it, it kind of seems a little bit hopeless. Sorry for all the doom and gloom. But there is an antidote to this. We are not doomed to be exhausted and burnt out forever. Because there is this, it seems so simple, it's a five-letter word that holds so much power. It's called grace. And again, because I don't necessarily have the best definitions, I went to the Google that knows everything. And it defines grace as the free and unmerited favor of God 
as manifested in the salvation of sinners and in the bestowal of blessings. Did you hear that? Grace is free. And it's unmerited. Which means we do nothing to deserve that. Right? We're actually given that forgiveness of our sins and a relationship with God without actually deserving it. Right? So that to-do list we have that you know, makes us think that we're actually worth something, it's like God has ripped that up and tossed it out the window. Because we, can actually, we don't actually have to deserve it. Romans 5.8 kind of like summarizes all my feelings about the shame and the feelings of never being good enough, especially as it creeps into our relationship with God. It, I'm going to actually start at um, verse number six. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we are in the midst of never feeling good enough, Christ still died for us so that we could have a relationship. That's grace right there. While we were still in the middle of the pit, the muck, and the mire, God still sent his son to die for us. If you think about it, we're going to also go back to Psalm 103. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 12. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with, with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed he made his he made known his ways to moses his deeds to the people of israel the lord is compassionate and grace gracious slow to anger abounding in love he will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, he loves us. But again, we did nothing to deserve that unending grace and love. In his um, second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul writes that our identity as a sinner is completely gone. 
No longer do we have to think that we're not good enough. So here it is from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That old identity of being a sinner and not being good enough to deserve the amazing grace that God gives us. When we become a new creation in Christ, that, is, that just disappears. It has been wiped clean. We're the ones often scrambling to take it back because it gives us, you know, something that says, hey, we're actually worth this. But we did nothing to deserve it. And that's okay because no matter how much or how little we do, we are still that new creation. So ultimately, if God isn't keeping track of what we do and what we don't do, then why are we? Why are we the ones that say, yes, no, I need to, I need to do all of these things because then, you know, I, I look good and, you know, I feel good for doing things for other people. Truth is, we don't really have to because God has given us grace anyways. So there are actually a few things that we can do. One is like John said, actually rip up that to-do list. I do it sometimes in my counseling practice because, hey, it feels good to be a little bit destructive sometimes, right? And to actually see that to-do list that you have ripped up into tiny little pieces because that means we don't have to worry about it anymore as long as we can prevent ourselves from writing a new one. Another one is being kind to one another. Not in that pitying, judging, sometimes, you know, kind of fake, kind of caring for one another, I love you because I have to kind of thing. But as a genuine recognition of a fellow human being in the midst of the struggle of life. Right? We are not a burden when we share that, hey, we're not doing so great. Because then we can have that discussion of why maybe you're not doing so great either. Right? And it's not, oh, well, I can't tell this person all my troubles because they always seem to have it all together. Because the truth is, they probably don't. And the third thing, the most important thing, I think, is make sure that you take time to pray and rest and take care of yourself. Find out what it is that fills up your gas tank. Whether it's being creative, you know, like I like scrapbooking, I like photography, things like that. Or whether it's spending time with your kids, going for a hike, something. Take the time to figure out exactly what that is and then actually do it. And kind of let go of that judgment that this is selfish, that I'm taking time for myself when it could be doing this, 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 and this for other people. Because that's not being selfish. That's taking care of yourself. Self-care is necessary because it refills that gas tank, right? You can't get anywhere on an empty, like when your car's gas tank is empty, right? You will continue to do good things for other people, I'm sure, because that probably is an inherent part of who you are. 
But this way, you can do things and actually mean it and feel them instead of just doing them just because you do them. And if you want to challenge me on it that it's selfish, okay. But I'm going to point you towards Matthew 14, 22. And it's kind of in between when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and when Jesus walks on the water. So when, he, when Jesus had fed the 5,000 and kind of dismissed everybody, this is what it says in Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So I'm going to stop right in the middle of verse 23. He took the time in between two very well-known miracles to pray by himself, to give himself a little bit of peace and rest. And if Jesus can do that, I really don't think it's kind of selfish. Right? That's Jesus taking care of himself and taking time to pray and rest. We need to do the same. You know, it's also about taking the time to spend with God so that he can fill up our gas tank. So if you go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So that heavy burden of that to-do list that we have, we don't have to carry it anymore. We need to take it to Jesus and leave it there. Because he is the one that is going to give us peace and rest it doesn't come from reaching the end of that to-do list. It comes from taking time for ourselves. And Lauren, it's actually kind of funny that you were reading from Isaiah 40 because that's kind of where I want to leave things this morning. So it's Matthew, or sorry, Isaiah 40, chapters 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young people stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So it's not even us that have to fill up our own gas tanks. We need to take the time to spend with God and he will fill it up for us. But the most important piece is that we need to take that time to take care of ourselves, to fill up our gas tanks. 
so that we can continue pouring energy into each other and into people out in the communities and into our families and still have that capacity to care. Because when, you are, when you're feeling compassion fatigue and when you're feeling burned out, you just don't care anymore. Might look like you do, but deep down maybe you know, you're a little bit numb. Right, so I encourage you, again, to find what it is that gives you rest, that fills up your gas tank, and to spend some time with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the one um, that takes on this to-do list and rips it up for us when we don't have the strength to do that. Thank you for that perfect gift of grace that means we can't do anything to earn all of that all that you've given us God I just pray that you will show everybody here how you want them to take their time to rest and you know fill them up when they spend some time with you God, I pray that you just show compassion on us even as we are struggling to rip up that to-do list because we've been holding on to it for so long that we don't know who we are without it. God, I pray that you show us that we are precious, precious children of God and that you love us regardless of how much or how little we get done. And God, thank you, thank you for the mothers and those with a mothering heart and even fathers, you know, that have to fill a mother's place. Thank you for those people who, whose to-do lists are probably a lot longer than those of us that are not mothers. God, I pray that we can show some of them today that half of what they mean to us and half of the rest that you give us God, bless these people as they go about their weeks and maybe think back to those to-do lists that they have to do. I pray that you be with them during those times and show them that they can rip up those to-do lists and that you think they are worth everything. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, have a good week.